right, if you brought a Bible with you tonight, please open it up with us. We are in 2 Kings chapter 16. If you didn't bring a Bible with you, please grab one from under a seat close by in front of you. This is a Bible study, so you need one. If you don't own one, please take that one home with you after the service. Amazing as we, again, open the word of God and understand again what this is, what we're holding. This is the the very word of God, the living word of God that he has given to us. And as we study it again, and we're going through in the Old Testament, studying through the history of the children of Israel, he tells us in his word that it's not just a history lesson. These things are recorded for us, for our learning, for our benefit. We see things in these stories and the people that follow after God and truly surrender their lives to him, the blessings that come. And even through difficulties and trials, God is continually with them. But we're going to see tonight, unfortunately, what happens to individuals and to a nation that turns its back on God and doesn't follow after him. We're in chapter 16 and we left off last time finishing up in chapter 15 with the kingdoms, again, they've been divided. It's been about 200 years since Solomon died. And after Solomon, the, the kingdom of Israel, the nation of Israel split into two camps, if you would. The northern ten tribes, that referred to then as the, as the tribe of Israel. And the southern two tribes, Judah and Benjamin, the tribe of Judah, the kings of the, of the north in Israel, we've studied through all of them, and there is not a single king that followed after the Lord, starting with King Jeroboam. And we've read every time a new king is introduced that this, this new king followed in the ways of King Jeroboam, who set up idols for worship in the northern kingdom, two golden calves in Bethel and in Dan, and said, well, this is where you worship God now, because God said that they're supposed to worship him in one place, in Jerusalem, in the temple there. That's where they were to offer their sacrifices to him. But the northern kings worried that if they traveled into the southern area, into, Jer- into Jerusalem, they'd want to stay there. So he said, well, I'll set this up for you. This is, it's okay to worship this way up here. Offer your sacrifices. King after king after king continued with that. Tells us time and time again, not following in the ways of the Lord, not following in the ways of David, but in the ways of Jeroboam. We've seen that king after king. The southern kings, we've seen a few good kings, a few bad kings, a few started good, finished bad, a few started bad, finished good. Kind of seen a, a mix of that. We left off last time in the southern area in Judah with a good king, Jotham. It told us in Second Chronicles chapter 27, Jotham became mighty because he ordered his ways before the Lord his God. He followed after the Lord. He became a mighty king. We don't know a whole lot that's covered for us in 2 Kings. However, after he dies, it tells us that his son Ahaz takes the throne in the southern kingdom. And it tells us in chapter 16, beginning in verse 1, in the 17th year of Pekah, the son of Remaliah, Ahaz, the son of Jotham, king of Judah, became king. Ahaz was 20 years old when he became king. And he reigned 16 years in Jerusalem, and notice he did not do what was right in the sight of the Lord his God, and his fa- as his father David had done. 
He did not follow in the ways of David. He did not follow in the ways of his father. And we're going to see that this man Ahaz is to this point the most wicked king in the south. Notice it says, but instead of following the ways of his father and his great, 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 great grandfather David, he walked in the ways of the kings of Israel and even made his son pass through the fire. Now, in 2 Chronicles 28, it's plural. So he had multiple sons, and it says, pass through the fire. He offered his sons to the god Molech. This was an, an unbelievably hideous practice that was taking place. They thought that they could appease and please the god of Molech, and he would send, send rains and, and crops and that type of thing by offering their own children as living sacrifices on a burnt altar. And he, as a king in Judah, did this practice. And this was, not, this was an abomination, as it says, of the nations whom the Lord had driven out from before the sons of Israel. That was a practice that was done in, this, in, the, in the country before they came. And, the, and God judged those nations because of those sins, and here they are following in those same footsteps. Even, I said, even beyond what was going on in the northern tribes, offering his sons in, in this offering to this god Molech. He sacrificed and burned incense on the high places and on the hills and under every green tree. Verse 5 says, Then Rezin, king of Aram, or Syria, and Pekah, son of Remaliah, king of Israel, came to Jerusalem to wage war and besiege Ahaz, but could not overcome him. Now there's a backstory to this if we go back to verse 37 of chapter 15. Notice it says, In those days the Lord began to send Rezin, king of Aram, and Pekah, the son of Remaliah, against Judah. So we see that it's the Lord who is actually drawing these two kings and their armies against Judah to judge Judah because of this wickedness, because of the things that King Ahaz has done. And he's led the people away from following and worshiping God. So he sends them to judge them, but notice it says that he could not overtake him. If we read, and you can jot this down if you're taking notes, in 2 Chronicles chapter 28, we see the parallel story being told there. They had initial victory as they came. They came and, and took captives away, killing many, many of, the, of the armies of Judah. Initial success, however, it tells us in Isaiah chapter 7 that Isaiah was sent by God to speak to King Ahaz, saying, they will not have ultimate victory. I'm in control of this. They will not have ultimate victory. And even the prophecy then Isaiah speaks of the fact that Judah will be initial or eventually eliminated as a country. And we're going to get to that tonight. And that, that, that he would protect them from that. Again, protecting his promise that the Messiah will come through the tribe of Judah. So they will not be completely destroyed. But Isaiah goes on to tell him, if you will follow the Lord, if you will believe in him, turn from him, you will have success. But if you do not, you will not succeed. So again, here we see the kindness of God being extended even to this wicked Ahaz, extending him the opportunity to repent, turn to God, have this victory, and turn everything around. But notice what it says in verse 7. So Ahaz sent messengers 
to Tiglath-Pileser, king of Assyria, saying, I am your servant and your son. Come up and deliver me from the hand of the king of Aram and from the hand of the king of Israel who are rising up against me. Instead of heeding the word of God, instead of hearing what the prophet Isaiah had to say to him and turning, understanding, again, what we're seeing here, it's God who brought them. And it's God who's going to allow them to have this certain work done in judgment, but not allow it to go any further. Instead of turning and following God again. Solomon wrote in Proverbs 21, The king's heart is like channels of water in the hands of the Lord. He turns it wherever he wishes. God is in complete control of this situation. But again, he hardens his heart. Instead of trusting in the Lord, he turns to worldly answers. He's got the king of Syria and the king of Israel coming against him, so he doesn't end around and goes up to Assyria in the north, who's already building an empire, and makes a deal with the enemy. Says, come and save me, come and and rescue me, and I'll submit to you. Notice, it goes, in verse 8, he took the silver and gold that was found in the house of the Lord and the treasuries of the king's house, and sent a present to the king of Assyria. So the king of Assyria listened to him, and the king of Assyria went up against Damascus and captured it and carried the people of it away into exile to Kerr and put resin to death. There's, there's a danger sometimes when we have initial success when we go to the world and we think, okay, well, God must be behind it. Sounds like the plan is working. But again, God said, trust me. And instead, he did this. And it, this, making a deal with the enemy, guys, never works. Might have initial success. You might think, okay, well, God must be okay with it because things are going along. But, guys, we always must be obedient to what God says and how we, how we live. Amen? Ask Jonah. Things worked out pretty good initially. He got a boat. Everything seemed to be going great. I'll be going against that. But ended up in a fish for a while. Now, Verse 10 tells us that King Ahaz went to Damascus to meet Tiglath-Pileser, king of Assyria. He went up to Damascus after he's now overthrown that area. He's set up his rule up there. He goes up to meet him. And notice it says, he saw the altar which was at Damascus. And King Ahaz sent to Urijah the priest the pattern of the altar and its mold according to all its workmanship. So Arijah, the priest, built an altar according to all that King Ahaz sent from Damascus. Thus Arijah, the priest, made it before the coming of King Ahaz from Damascus. When the king came from Damascus, the king saw the altar. Then the king approached the altar and went up to it and burnt his burnt offerings and his meal offerings and poured his drink offering, and sprinkled the blood of his peace offering on the altar. The bronze altar, which was before the Lord, he brought from the front of the house, from between his altar and the house of the Lord, and he put it on the north side of his altar. Then King Ahaz commanded Urijah the priest, saying, Upon the great altar burn the morning burnt offering and the evening meal offering and the king's burnt offering and meal offering with the burnt offerings of all the people of the land and their meal offering and their drink offerings and sprinkle on it all the blood of the burnt offering and all the blood of the sacrifice. But the bronze altar shall be for me to inquire by. 
Here we see Ahaz going up to Damascus and he sees the altar now that the king of Assyria has built. And he says, man, that is impressive. That is amazing. I want one of those back down where we worship in Israel, in in Jerusalem. And so he sends all of the plans, all of the drawings back and they build an altar there. And I'm sure it was magnificent. It was probably bigger and more ornate perhaps and all of this stuff. And he says, we'll set this up and this is gonna be how we're gonna worship going forward. Even to the point where he offered the offerings that God gave very specific instructions where, when, and how to do them. And he says, you know what? We're gonna do it differently now. God's gonna have to be pleased. I mean, this is bigger and better and flashier and all this other kind of stuff. And you know what? This old bronze altar that we've been using for hundreds of years, let's move that off to the side. And, and then we're gonna bring all of the people's offerings and, and making this just this big fanfare and show that's going on. It's telling. He says, but the bronze altar shall be for me to inquire by. I'm going to do all of this kind of stuff, but I'm going to hang on to this little bit over here, and I can go to God and talk to him over here, too. I can inquire there just to, you know, just to make sure I'm still kind of keeping in touch with the, the, that, that part of it. Guys, compromise is never acceptable in our walk. Seeing things that are out in the world buying into things that are into the world, imitating the things that are in the world. It doesn't tell us, but I have to believe that he thought somehow this was going to impress God with this great show. But guys, the Lord desires as the greatest and only sacrifice from us that is pleasing to him is obedience, to do what he says, to follow in his ways trying to come up with a newer, bigger, better way and all of this kind of stuff only leads down a path that goes away from the Lord. I read in a commentary today, Warren Wearsby said, the religious novelty in churches today may excite and entertain the people, but they don't edify the church or exalt the Lord. The sanctuary becomes a theater, worship becomes entertainment, ministry becomes performance, and a congregation becomes an audience. The measure of all of this is not the glory of God, but the applause of the people. No doubt, I'm sure, that the people were impressed. They were led into this and, and, and going along with it because their leaders did. And we see here, notice in verse 16, so Uriah the priest did according to all that the king Ahaz commanded. The priest did what the king told him to do. If you'll remember, I believe it was last time, Azariah confronted the king, Uzziah. When he came in and offered the, 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 the offering himself, he was going to burn incense, which the king cannot do. The priest stood up to him and said, you can't do that. God is holy, and we need to follow as he is, as he is commanded. You can't do that. But here we see a weak priest, a weak leader, and did according to the, what the king commanded. Instead of fulfilling his ministry, he decided to follow what the king told him, follow what the, the people were no doubt encouraging, and hey, this sounds great. I was thinking, reading through that, Paul writes to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 4, I solemnly charge you in the presence of God 
and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with great patience and instruction. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance to their own desires, and will turn away their ears from the truth, and will turn aside to myths. But you, be sober in all things, endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. And it's easy to read that and say, okay, well, that was Paul writing to Timothy, Timothy pastor. Okay, pastor, make sure you fulfill your ministry. I'm going to turn that right around right now and say, we all need to fulfill our ministry. Every one of us as Christians has a ministry. It might not be a full-time paid position, but it's a full-time position. And we need to all fulfill our ministry. And the temptation is always there to try to somehow soften things or to maneuver things. Parents, it's a whole lot easier to compromise with our kids or, or allow things to come into, into our homes that have no business being there as Christians, into our sanctuary as homes. We're the men, especially here, we're the priests in our homes. And we can't do as the world says. We need to stand up and do what the Lord says. We're going to see that even though it appears that there's some initial okay with it because things seem to go smoothly for a while, it's going gonna, it's gonna to end very badly. He doesn't even stop there. Verse 17, things seem to be going so well. It says, then King Ahaz cut off the borders of the stands and removed the laver from them. He also took down the sea from the bronze oxen which were under it and put it on, pavement, on a pavement of stone. The, cover under, the coverway for the Sabbath which, which they had built in the house and the outer entry of the king he removed from the house of the Lord because of the king of Assyria. Now he's all about impressing the king of Assyria if he should happen to come and visit. It's turned completely away from following the Lord and, following, and turned to following the world. Well, verse 19, the rest of the acts of Ahaz, which he did, are they not written in the book of the chronicles of the kings of Judah? So Ahaz slept with his fathers and was buried with his fathers in the city of David. Second Chronicles tells us he was not buried in the tomb of the kings, probably because of his wickedness. He was buried in the city, but not along with the other kings. And his son Hezekiah reigned in his place. And should the Lord tarry, God willing, next week we're going to look at the reign of King Hezekiah. And he was, he was a great king. <laughs> and it's interesting as we look at that progression though, right? Ahaz, the most wicked king to date, following after a good king. And Hezekiah, as we will read, the, the, the one that followed after the Lord the most, the, prob- the, the best king, following after Ahaz. Interesting. Each individual responsible for what they do with the Lord's calling. Verse, chapter 17. In the twelfth year of Ahaz, king of Judah, Hoshea, the son 
of Ella became king over Israel in Samaria and reigned nine years. Hosea will be the last king in the northern tribes of Israel. We're going to read that as it comes right now. Like I mentioned, about 200 years now after the reign of King Jeroboam, who came after Solomon in the northern tribes. Notice his father, the son of Ella, was not the previous king. Previous king killed, this king placed in place probably by the king of Assyria to rule in the area. He did evil in the sight of the Lord, only not as the kings of Israel who were before him, because he was following after now the rule of the king of Assyria in the north. Shalmaneser, king of Assyria, now the, the, the one who had followed the previous king in Assyria, came up against him, and Hosea became his servant and paid him tribute. But, verse 4, the king of Assyria found conspiracy in Hosea, who had sent messengers to sow king of Egypt. I like the, the names of the king of Egypt. They're so much easier to pronounce than <laughs> Tilgath-Pileser. So, that is capital, so, king of Egypt, and had offered no tribute to the king of Assyria, as he had done year by year. So the king of Assyria shut him up and bound him in prison. Here again we see looking to the world, turning, instead of turning to God, turning again to the world, turning to Egypt this time. And as we've commented many times over and over, Egypt is a picture of the world in the Old Testament, turning back to the world. Now, as we mentioned last time, Isaiah was a prophet in this time. And in Isaiah chapter 30, God speaking through the prophet Isaiah to, again, the children of Israel. Woe to the rebellious children, declares the Lord, who execute a plan, but not mine, and make an alliance, but not of my spirit, in order to add sin to sin, who proceed down to Egypt without consulting me, to take refuge in the safety of Pharaoh and to seek shelter in the shadow of Egypt. It goes on to talk of the fact that, that is, that's senseless. And again, we look at that as Christians. Guys, we need to follow after the Lord. We need to seek the Lord. I was blessed before the service to pray with a couple that's con contemplating a move to, to go back to another part of the country where their family, they want to seek the Lord. They want to hear from the Lord before they make a step in that. And guys, that, that should be our heart in everything. But so often we can find ourselves going to worldly things, going to reading magazines or checking out Google and, or whatever it is, instead of going to the Lord first and having him direct our paths. In Isaiah 30, it goes on to say that if we do that, he will, in our ear, tell us where to go. This is the way. Walk in it. But he didn't, and look at what happened. The king of Assyria shut him up, bound him in prison, then the king of Assyria invaded the whole land and went up to Samaria and besieged it three years. In the ninth year of Hosea, the king of Assyria captured Samaria and carried Israel away into exile to Assyria and settled them in Hala and Habor on the river of Gozan and in the city of the Medes. Assyria comes into the northern tribes and wipes them out takes away 
takes them away from their homeland. What they did is they would take them captive, resettle them in other areas, bring in people, other areas that they had conquered, and settle them into the, the, their, the, this, this area so that they would lose their identity, so that they would assimilate into the Assyrian culture and, and everything else. And here we're going to see that in a little bit, those that came in, that they brought in to the area to take their place. But here we see the end of the northern tribes of Israel. There, there, there's, there's no more record of them as a people going forward from here. This came about, verse 7, and here we see, and I think if we take a little time looking through this, this is so important because it, it, it lays it out for us, again, why this happened. And God is so patient. Again, 200 years, and they did not have a single king that honored and followed him. For 200 years, he had patience and continually sent, and we'll see, continually sent prophets, continually sent warnings, and they ignored it over and over again. This came about, verse 7, because the sons of Israel had sinned against the Lord their God. They turned their back on God. Turned their back on the God who had brought them up from the land of Egypt, from under the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And they had feared other gods and walked in the customs of the nations whom the Lord had driven out before the sons of Israel and in the customs of the kings of Israel which they had introduced. God told them to wipe them out, drive them out. You don't become part of that world. You are conquerors, more than conquerors. You go in and you change this for me. Instead, they changed and turned against them. The sons of Israel did secretly, which were not right, the things secretly, which were not right, against the Lord their God. Somehow they, they thought that in secret, they're going to get away with it. God's not going to see this. We're, gonna, you know, we're, we're away from Jerusalem or away from all that, so God's not going to see what's going on. And if he does see, he's not going to do anything about it. <laughs> Guys, let me just let you in on something. God sees and knows everything that you do, not just while you're here, <laughs> not just while you're around other people. God knows, we looked at this this weekend, at the, the, the beautiful side of this. He knows every thought. He knows every word that's on our tongue before we say it. He knows every word that's on our tongue that we don't say. <laughs> that we somehow pat ourselves on the back and say, oh, I wanted to say that, but I didn't. God sees the heart behind that. <laughs> you get a half a point for self-control, but... He knows that. And I, I just, I want to challenge you in this. Are, are you the same person at home that you are here? Are you the same person in your workplace than you are at home or that, that you are here? And here's the real telling one. Are you the same person when you're all by yourself and no one else can see what you're, what you're doing where you're going on the internet, what you're listening to or what you're doing, are you the same person there? Because if you're not, the Bible has a word for that. Nobody likes to hear it, but it's hypocrite. It means wearing a mask somewhere and taking it off in other places. And I, 
I, I don't say that to come down condemningly. I say that to challenge every one of us, myself included, standing first and foremost. As I, as I say often, guys, before I bring it to you, the Lord brings it to me, working on my heart in areas. Am I the same person at home with my wife and kids that I'm here challenging you to be with your wife and kids, husband and kids, grandkids, at work, alone. I, I've often said this to people when I'm doing counseling or something like that. It's, it kind of, the, the, the meter that kind of can tell us that in our heart is how do you respond inside right now? Are you sweating a little bit thinking about God knows everything I do and everything I say and everything? Or is it, praise the Lord, he knows everything I do and everything I say and everything I'm feeling? there's an area in your life, guys, that you need to turn away from, the Bible calls that repentance. And he's eager to forgive and restore. But I challenge you, if, if there's an area that you need to repent of in your life, do it. Do it now. Do it here. They didn't. They continued to go on. And we see this. Moreover, they built for themselves high places in all their towns, from the watchmen to the fortified city. They set for themselves sacred pillars and ashram on every high hill and under every green tree. And there they burned incense on all the high places as the nations did, which the Lord had carried away to exile before them. And they did evil. They did evil things provoking the Lord. They served idols concerning which the Lord had said to them, you shall not do this thing. And here's verse 13. Yet the Lord warned Israel and Judah through all his prophets and every seer, saying, Turn from your evil ways and keep my commandments, my statutes, according to all the law which I command your fathers, in which I send you through my servants, the prophets. Continually he warned them. Continually he sent prophets. All of these prophets that we read, the major and minor prophets, all of them bringing this word to them, repent, turn back to the Lord. Guys, the Holy Spirit is that for us as Christians. The word of God, yes, living word of God, we're challenged by that, but the Holy Spirit in us, giving us that check that says, that's not right. That's not for you. That, you may see other people getting away with that, but I'm the Lord speaking to your heart saying, that's not for you. I want something different for you. And we need to respond to that. If we don't, we become like them. Notice, it says, verse 14, however, they did not listen. Notice the second part, but stiffened their neck. That means that they just became firmer and firmer in their ways. Instead of responding and turning, they dug deeper like their fathers who did not believe in the Lord their God. They rejected his statutes and his covenant. See the process. They didn't listen. They hardened their hearts. They stiffened their necks. And it gets to the point where they just reject it and push it away completely. Reject his statutes and his covenant, which he made with their fathers and his warnings with which he warned. And they followed vanity and became vain. And went after the nations which surrounded them, concerning which the Lord had commanded them not to do like them. They forsook all the commandments of the Lord their God and made for themselves molten images, even two calves, and made an Asherah and worshipped it, all the hosts of heaven, and served Baal. Then they made their sons and daughters pass through the fire, practiced divinations and enchantments, 
sold themselves to do evil in the sight of the Lord, provoking him. So the Lord was very angry with Israel and removed them from his sight. None was left except the tribe of Judah. Here we see, again, God dealing with his people Israel, a people whom he blessed, people, again, whom he brought out of slavery, gave them everything along the way in their wilderness wanderings, gave them this promised land. He said, it is yours. Go in and take it. Blessed. Again, Isaiah is a prophet at this time. In Isaiah chapter 5, speaking to the children of Israel, warned them and gave them a parable about the vine dresser and how he, he had done everything for this, this olive grove, speaking of Israel. And yet they did not respond. They did not bear fruit. And I say that because, again, here is a nation blessed by God. A nation given everything by God, yet turning their back on him. And I can't help, and I'm sure many of your minds and thoughts already go in there, that the country we live in, a country absolutely blessed by God. A country that was founded on Christian principles. I don't care what the revisionist historians want to tell you. Founded on Judeo-Christian beliefs. It wasn't... How many of you attended public school when you were a kid where they read psalms and they prayed in the schools and everything? Yeah, a whole lot, a whole lot. That wasn't that long ago that we still as a country followed after those beliefs. But Isaiah chapter 5 is one that should cause us all as Christians in the United States to, to pray Pray even harder. The first seven verses, like I said, he's talking about a vineyard and, and the, speaking of them. But then he says, Woe to those who add house to house and join field to field until there is no more room, so that you have to live alone in the midst of the land. Speaking of greed, never enough, adding house to house, accumulating wealth, Ignoring those in need. Woe to those, he says. Verse 11, woe to those who rise early in the morning and they, they, so that they may pursue strong drink, who stay up late in the evening that wine may inflame them. Their banquets are accompanied by lyre and harp and tambourine and flute and by much wine. But they do not pay attention to the deeds of the Lord, nor do they consider the works of his hands. Drunken pleasure parties, seeking after drugs and alcohol and pursuit of, of, of personal pleasures. Verse 18, woe to those who drag iniquity with cords of falsehood and sin as if with cart ropes, flaunting their sin. And that, that, that grieves me, and I know m- many of you, how so many just flaunt their sin anymore. There's no things that used to be done even 15, 20 years ago in private and almost in shame now are flaunted openly in the public. And here, the ones that really (laughs) make the hair on my neck stand up, woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who substitute darkness for light and light for darkness, who substitute bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Woe to those who are wise in their own eyes 
and clever in their own sight. Woe to those who are heroes at drinking wine, valiant men at mixed at strong drink, who justify the wicked for a bribe and take away the rights of the ones who are in the right. He goes on to speak of exactly what we're looking at right now that will happen to Israel. It says in verse 26, He will also lift up a standard to the distant nations and will whistle for it from the ends of the earth, and behold, it will come with speed swiftly. No one in it is weary or stumbles. No one slumbers or sleeps, nor is the belt at its waist undone, nor the sandal straps broken. Its arrows are sharp and its bows are always bent. The hooves of its horses are like flint and the chariot wheels like a whirlwind. God said that he will use a nation that doesn't know him. He's going to call them from afar off. Again, like we mentioned, these kings, they're like channels in the, in the Lord's hands to, to serve his purposes, to bring them in. I think, just my opinion, I'm not, I'm not being a prophet here, just my opinion, but I think one of the biggest detriments to us as a country in addition to all of the sin, everything like that, that's it. That's the big thing. But is our overconfidence that we somehow think we're invincible. Guys, we're not invincible. God can do to this country what he did to Israel. Call a nation that doesn't follow him. Call a people that doesn't follow him to judge our country. And I, as Christians, I'm not saying this to, to scare you. I don't want you to lose sleep over this unless you're going to lose sleep to pray. <laughs> because that's what we need. We need to fall on our faces as believers. The Bible doesn't say if the Democrats turn from their wicked ways and pray. It doesn't say if the Republicans turn from their wicked ways and pray. It says, if my people who are called by my name turn from their wicked ways and seek his face. That's us, guys. We're called by his name. We're Christians. And we need to seek his face. We need to, as I said before, repent. If there's anything in our lives we need to turn from, we need to turn from it. And we need to fall on our faces before a holy and righteous God that he would send again revival in this country. We need to pray for our leaders. We need to pray for this upcoming election. We need to vote. We need to vote our values. We need to do those things. But above all of that, we need to pray. Verse 19, also Judah did not keep the commandments of the Lord their God, but walked in the customs which Israel had introduced. Again, King, King Ahaz had started this, and it was starting to f- c- spread through the tribes of Judah. The Lord rejected all the descendants of Israel and afflicted them and gave them into the land of plunderers until he had cast them out of his sight. When he had torn Israel from the house of David, they made Jeroboam the son of Nebat king. Then Jeroboam drove Israel away from following the Lord and made them commit this great sin. The sons of Israel walked in all the sins of Jeroboam, which he did. They did not depart from them until the Lord removed Israel from his sight. As he spoke through all his servants, the prophets, so Israel was carried away into exile from their own land to Assyria until this day. Verse 24, 
the king of Assyria brought men from Babylon and Kutha and Alva and Hamath and Sepharvim and settled them in the cities of Samaria in place of the sons of Israel. So as I mentioned, they bring these other nations that they've conquered, people from those places, and settle them into Israel now. At the beginning of their living there, they did not fear the Lord. Therefore, the Lord sent lions among them and killed some of them. So they spoke to the king of Assyria, saying, The nations whom you have carried away into exile in the cities of Samaria do not know the custom of the God of the land, So he has sent lions among them, and behold, they kill them, because they do not know the customs of the God of the land. Then the king of Assyria commanded, saying, Take there one of the priests who you carried away into exile, and let him go live there, and let him teach them the custom of the God of the land. So one of the priests whom they carried away into exile from Samaria came and lived at Bethel, and taught them how they should fear the Lord. So one of the priests who wasn't doing it the way he was supposed to, is brought back in to teach them how they're supposed to follow the Lord. Guess how that goes. The men of Babylon made Sukkoth Benoth. The men of Kuth made Nergal. The men of Hamath made Ashima. And the Avazites made Nibhaz and Teratak. These are their gods that they're setting up. Servites burned their, their children in the fire to... Adramalek and Anamalek, the gods of Sepharvim. <laughs> they also feared the Lord. So they're doing all of this stuff. They're doing all of their other things, but they're also going to try to follow this other god, the god of the lions, and appointed from themselves priests in high places who acted for them in the, house, in the houses of the high places. They feared the Lord and served their own gods according to the customs of the nations from among whom they had been carried away into exile. To this day, they do according to the earlier customs. They do not fear the Lord, nor do they follow their statutes or or their ordinances or the law or the commandments which the Lord commanded the son of Jacob, whom he named Israel, with whom the Lord made a covenant and commanded them, saying, you shall not Fear other gods, nor bow yourselves down to them, nor serve them, nor sacrifice to them. But the Lord who brought you up from the land of Egypt with great power and with an outstretched arm, him you shall fear, and to him you shall bow yourselves down, and to him you shall sacrifice. The statutes and ordinances and law and the commandment which he wrote for you, you shall observe and do forever, and you shall not fear other gods. The covenant that I made with you, you shall not forget, nor shall you fear other gods, But the Lord your God you shall fear, and he will deliver you from the hands of the enemies. That again, let's go back to that. That's what he said from the beginning, verse 14. However, they did not listen. But they did according to their earlier custom. So while these nations feared the Lord, they also served their idols with their children, likewise their grandchildren, as their fathers did, so they do to this day. Now, it says... So these nations feared the Lord. They didn't obviously as fear the Lord as it's outlined for us in verses 34 through 39 as we're supposed to fear the Lord in reverence, in obedience, and following his word. They fear the Lord like most of the world fears the Lord. They fear judgment. They fear the outcome of their sin. They fear somehow that... that there, that it's, it's placed within the heart of everybody that we're going to be accountable for what we do. Many push that off, but God has placed that in the heart of everybody. That's what they fear. They fear the, the consequences of their actions. 
And so many set up even today, just like they did. Okay, so I can live like I, I do all week long, but then I go, I go to a priest and I confess my sin and I say a certain number of prayers and I do this sort of thing and then I can leave and feel good about it. Or I can go and do good works to offset that. Or I live all day long and I'm doing all this stuff in the world and I feel guilty about it, so I just say a prayer at night and I get up in, morn- in the morning and pray and read. Or I come to church on Sunday, but then go right back to it Monday through the rest of the week. We read this and we're thinking, that's, that's crazy. But that's the way most of the world is. That's the, way, that's the way a lot of people who consider themselves Christians or call themselves Christians behave. Guys, as true and living, born-again believers, again, our walk needs to be a walk that is worthy of the gift that we've been given. Every bit of it. Not just Sunday, not just Wednesday nights. God bless all you Cubs fans for coming out tonight. Indians fans too. But that's not going to... I hope you didn't come to get a special blessing just for that. Our blessing comes as we walk in obedience. Our blessing comes as we seek the Lord instead of going to the world. Our blessing comes as we honor him above all things. I'm glad we got through that. That was verse, chapter 18, that Hezekiah reigns over Judah. Yay, we get to do that next week, so praise the Lord. But <laughs> again, guys, this is recorded for our learning. This is recorded for us as, as a warning. God loves us that much that he, <laughs> and after we finish, I was thinking about this today, you know, we're, we're coming to the, the end of 2 Kings. Guess what's that like next? First Chronicles. We get to review it all, to go back through it again. <laughs> Because God loves us that much, we need to know this. We need to hear this, as hard as it is. And I pray that it's been especially hard for some of you who have maybe gone a wrong way. Maybe the Lord's speaking to you about, and it might not be some grievous sin. If you're a follower of the Lord Jesus, if you are a spirit-filled believer, the longer you walk with the Lord, the more he's going to point out things. There's things that, that come into, into me now that, that the Holy Spirit says, that is not for you, that wouldn't have bothered me 10 years ago, but bother me greatly today. That's just part of our walk in obedience. The more we become like Christ, the more we realize we still have a long way to go. <laughs> and if he's speaking to you about something tonight, deal with that. Deal with that. This isn't, again, to beat you up. He's saying, just turn, turn back to me. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your your loving kindness, for your long-suffering, for your patience with us, for your love for us. And Lord, as, as any good parent would do, if a child is going the wrong direction or doing something that will harm them, there's correction that's needed. And you are the best parent. You are, you are our heavenly father. And so Lord, if there is an area in our life that needs correction, reveal that to us. And Lord, we repent of that now. We turn to you fully 
as we sang at the beginning, where we come back to that again. We lay our lives down. We surrender it all to you. And Lord, we are concerned for our country and the direction that we're headed. Lord, we thank you for your patience with us, even as a country. We have long, we're long overdue for judgment. But we thank you for your, your grace extended towards us even now. And Lord, we pray, we pray that you would raise up workers in this time of harvest. Lord, that you would use us and you would use all of those who are called by your name to make a difference, to make an impact. Lord, we pray for the leaders in our country that they would have a confrontation with you. Lord, I pray for everyone running for office. I pray for, I pray for Trump. I pray for Hillary. Lord, have a Damascus Road experience with them. Lord, we pray for the leaders. We pray for our country. Lord, we pray for all of us as Christians that we would stand up and we would honor you and not the world. Pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you guys.